Okay, those people up the back, please take a seat. Thank you. Good morning and welcome to Cornerstone Presbyterian. My name's Campbell. If I haven't met you, I'm pastor here at Cornerstone Presbyterian. And a special welcome if you're visiting with us today. And I can see some old friends here as well. Great to have you with us. And this morning we're looking at the, the birth and the development of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. So I'd really love for you to have your Bibles open at Luke. So we're taking a little break this week from the book of Revelation and we are looking at the Gospel of Luke and the birth of our Lord Jesus. Now, as we think about the birth and the development of Jesus, a wonderful piece of Shakespeare came to my mind where he describes those, those seven stages of human life. You know the soliloquy I'm talking about. Let me read it to you. It's, it's so wonderful. Shakespeare said, All the world's a stage. And all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances. And one man in his time plays many parts. His acts being seven ages. At first, the infant, mewling and puking in the nurse's arms. And then the whining schoolboy, with his satchel and shining morning face creeping like snail unwillingly to school. And then the lover, sighing like a furnace, with a woeful ballad made to his mistress' eyebrow. Then a soldier, full of strange oaths and bearded like the pard, jealous in honour, sudden and quick in quarrel, seeking the bubble reputation even in the cannon's mouth. And then the justice, in fair round belly, with good capon lined, with eyes severe and beard of formal cut, full of wise saws and modern instances, and so he plays his part. The sixth age shifts into the lean and slippered pantaloon, with spectacles on nose and pouch on side, his youthful hose well saved, a world too wide for his shrunk shank, and his big manly voice turning again towards Childish treble, turning uh, treble pipes and whistles in his sound. Last scene of all that ends this strange eventful history is second childishness and mere oblivion. Sands teeth, sands eyes, sands taste, sands everything. Which of those seven stages best describes your husband? or you've pictured him in there somewhere. Now, at Christmas, we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we read the first three chapters of the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to be looking at quite a bit of that this morning, we see six stages in the birth and development of Jesus Christ. And what we're going to do this morning, we're going to quickly trace these stages of Jesus' development as shown to us by Luke in his Gospel, and at each stage I want you to ask this question. What kind of a person is Luke showing us? 
So at each stage, ask yourself that question. What kind of a person is Luke showing us? And the first stage we see in the life of Jesus is his conception and his development in his mother's womb. And Ian and Kim Headley have very kindly agreed to help me this morning as we read sections together from the Gospel of Luke. And the first one is going to be from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 44. Okay, this is Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 44. In the sixth month... God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give you the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom, kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who was said to be barren, is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. So there we see a description of the conception and the conception of Jesus Christ in the womb of his mother. And we see that Jesus was uh, a, a zygote, a, an embryo, a fetus, just like every other baby that has been born. And so what we see here is the conception of what is in every way a normal human being, a, a, a baby growing in the womb of his mother. Yet, he was conceived in the womb of a virgin. He was conceived by the power of God. Look there at verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, Mary, 
and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And we see here that he is given a very exalted title. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And so we see an unborn baby in every way human. And yet Luke is also showing us a divine being. God, the Son of God, conceived by the power of God in the womb of Mary. Let's look now at the birth of Jesus from Luke chapter 2, verses 4 to 14. Luke chapter 2, verses 4 to 14. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. And so what do we see here at the second stage of Jesus' life? We see that Jesus was born into this world like every other human being. And his mother swaddled him, she wrapped him in cloths, and put him in an animal's food trough. The reason being that there was no room in the, in the place where they sought accommodation. Probably a, an inn. And so what we see here, what we see Luke showing us here, is a normal human being born like every other human being. In fact, a very humble, poor and lowly human being whose parents couldn't even find room in the inn. And so a food trough becomes a crib. Yet, what else happens at the birth of Jesus that doesn't happen, hasn't happened at the birth of any other child? Angels come to announce his birth in the, in the countryside around Bethlehem. His birth is announced by angels to the shepherds, and a great pronouncement is made over his birth. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord, a human being. And yet Luke shows us also a divine being, the Lord himself come to save his people. Let's look now at the third stage of Jesus' birth and development as Luke shows us Jesus as a newborn and infant 
We're looking now at Luke chapter 2, verse 22 to 35. Okay. Luke 2, 22 to 35. When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child to Jesus, the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marvelled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Again, Luke shows us here what is in every way a normal Jewish baby boy. The law, the Old Testament said that Male infants had to be circumcised on the eighth day and Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day, just like every other Jewish boy. And the law said that a sacrifice had to be made for the firstborn son, a lamb, or if the the family was very poor, the offering of two doves or two pigeons. And so we see the sacrifice being made as it was made for every other Jewish boy, but of course it is the sacrifice of the poor family, two doves sacrificed for Jesus, showing again the lowly state of Jesus' birth family. Luke shows us a human being, a very humble human being. Yet, when Jesus is presented at the temple, there's Simeon, an old prophet, And listen to what he says. And and these words have not been spoken about any other person ever born and will never be spoken about any person to be born. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. And Simeon is, is holding the baby Jesus in his arms. And he says, my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. 
Luke is showing us a normal Jewish boy, infant, circumcised, a sacrifice made for him. And he is showing us a divine being. The prophet Simeon saying, at last I can die because the Saviour has come and I'm holding him in my very arms. Let's look now at the fourth stage of Jesus' life. We're looking at Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 51, and we're going to see now Jesus, the boy. We've seen the conception, the birth, the infant, and now the boy. Luke chapter 2, 41 to 51. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast, according to the custom, After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them, and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. That's one of my favourite stories about Jesus. Did anyone else? Just, I just love that, that story of the boy Jesus going to the temple. He's about 12, Luke says. That's, that's what uh, Jewish people call bar mitzvah, a son of the commandment. And so at about the age of 12... Jewish boys were considered to be mature enough to be responsible for knowing and keeping God's law for themselves. In fact, they were no longer considered boys, but as young men. That's interesting, isn't it, that uh, in Jewish society you were considered to be mature and responsible at about the age 12. I think in Western society today it's about 35 or thereabouts. (laughs) But... uh, Except, except for our young guys, I, I just want to say how impressed I am with our, our young guys and their maturity, and, and I, I just want to say that. I, I think that uh, we are proud of you, and we see here, <laughs> I, don't, I don't, don't know if they want to clap, but uh, we, are, we are proud of them. And we see here Jesus showing a growing independence, don't we? So the family goes to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. The family goes back to Nazareth, which is in the north of Israel. And they weren't helicopter parents, apparently, because they just go back, assuming that Jesus is coming back with the other pilgrims to Nazareth. And it's half a day later before they realise that Jesus is not one of the party. And so back to Jerusalem, it takes them some time to find him because uh, Josephus reports that there was anywhere between two and three million pilgrims 
in Jerusalem for Passover festival. So it took them some time to find Jesus and they finally found him in the temple conversing with the elders and teachers of Israel, astonishing them with his knowledge and the kind of penetrating questions he's asking and with the wisdom of his conversation and discussion about the law of God. And so Luke is showing us, he's showing us a a boy, a 12-year-old Jewish boy. And in a sense, he's a very normal boy. He's showing increasing independence from his parents. And even in his knowledge of the law, there's, there's nothing essentially divine about that. It, it is, Luke's showing us what a boy should be like, really, in Jewish society, what they should have been like at about that age, asking questions, answering questions with real knowledge and insight. Yet, he's not ordinary because when his mother says, why did you put us in this position? Why did you make us come back and look for you? He says to her, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And no other Jewish boy could have said that. I had to be in my father's house. Jesus was saying, God is my father in a way that he's not the father of any other boy. I am God the Son, and this is my home, the house of God, the temple of God. So Luke shows us a human being, a boy, growing in independence, a gifted boy, still a boy, but he shows us a divine being. I had to be in my father's house, and the temple was the home of God. In the fifth stage, we see Jesus maturing into manhood. Have a look there at chapter 2, verse 40. Luke gives us two summaries of Jesus' development. Look at verse 40. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom. And the grace of God was upon him. And now go over to verse 52. Chapter 2, verse 52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and men. Jesus' body grew steadily like every other human being. And his mind and his emotions, his knowledge, his wisdom grew as it should for every human being. Except for Jesus, unlike us, it wasn't three steps forward, two steps back. There was this steady development of the mind, the knowledge, the wisdom of Jesus Christ. Luke shows us a human being developing as a human being should develop, yet something set him apart from every other human being. Let me read to you a quote from one of the the great theologians of the 20th century, B.B. Warfield, as he talks about the, the development of Jesus. He says, this is no ordinary human development that Luke pictures to us here. But it is nonetheless all the more unnormal 
human development. The only strictly normal human development from birth to manhood the world has ever seen. For this child is the only child who has ever been born into the world without the fatal disease of sin. And the only child that has ever grown into adulthood without having his walk and speech marred at every step by the destructive influences of sin and error. And so Luke shows us a human being, a boy growing, developing his body, his mind, his wisdom, his knowledge. And yet Luke shows us one of a kind, the only human being ever born who was not marred and afflicted with the disease of sin, which is such an affliction on our thinking and our knowledge and our understanding and our wisdom. Luke shows us a human being and he shows us a divine being, the only human being ever born without sin and evil. Let's look now at the sixth stage of Jesus' development. We're going to look at his baptism. It's a short reading. I'll invite Ian up from Luke chapter 3. Ah, Kim, sorry. Thanks, Kim. Tough. Luke 3, 21 and 22. When all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love, who, with whom I am well pleased. With you I am well pleased. Thank you. So here at this sixth stage of Jesus' development, we see him encountering John the Baptist. And what's John doing? John is baptising everyone, everyone who comes to him. A baptism of repentance. A baptism that, that, that was given to people who repented of their sin. The baptism a sign of the washing away of their sin. And Luke tells us that when all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And so Luke is showing us here Jesus identifying himself with humanity. In fact, identifying himself with sinful humanity. Luke has been very careful to show us so far that he himself did not have the disease of sin. He was not a sinner. If there's one person who didn't need to be received the baptism of repentance, it was Jesus Christ. Yet he comes and presents himself with everyone else to be baptised by John, identifying himself with the human race. I think of Mother Teresa in Calcutta, who went to help orphans with leprosy for many decades. She threw herself in with lepers to help them. She didn't have the disease of leprosy, but she threw themself in with them. She lived with them, alongside them, helped them, healed them. She didn't have the disease, but she came close and she identified herself with those who were suffering that disease. And in the same way, we see our Lord Jesus here, 
joining himself to sinful humanity. Not because he has sin, he doesn't. But because, as we'll see, he's come to help us from our sin. Jesus' baptism, by the way, was unlike any of the other baptisms. Because when he was baptised, the heavens opened, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven saying, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Well, our final reading is a hard one. It's a very hard one. I'm glad it's Ian doing it and not me, because we're looking at the genealogy of Jesus. And as you listen to this, you're going to be wondering... Why on earth, A, did Luke put this in and B, did Campbell choose this for a visitor's service? But what we're going to see is the genealogy, the family tree of Jesus, traced from Joseph back through the generations. As you hear each name, I want you to think of Jesus' descendants going back through the ages. And I want you to notice very carefully where this genealogy Lands. Thanks, Ian. And apologies to any Hebrew speaking people. Um, This is Luke chapter 3, verses 23 to 38. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Ezlai, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of Mattathias, the son of Semyon, the son of Josek, the son of Jodah, the son of Joanan, the son of Ressa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Nerai, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosam, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Jorim, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonan, the son of Elikim, the son of Melia, the son of Mena, the son of Matatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon, the son of Aminadab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serag, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Aphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Kenan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Thanks, Ian. Thank you. Why does Luke finish his description of the birth, childhood and development of Jesus with that family tree, that genealogy. Why does he do it? He's showing us that Jesus was descended from Adam. 
um, Matthew also has a genealogy, but it stops at Abraham. Luke takes it all the way back to Adam. Luke is emphasising Jesus made himself a part of human roots and his family tree can be descended all the way down to the Garden of Eden and to the first man, Adam. So we see here the humanity of Jesus Christ. But look at how Luke prefaces his genealogy in verse 23. Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. So it was thought, because Joseph wasn't his biological father, he was his legal father. And so Luke is careful to show us here that although he is a human being and he can be traced all the way to Adam, like every other human being, like you and I, that he, his birth, his conception was absolutely unique. Jesus was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the power of God. Therefore, Jesus is the Son of God. And so Luke is showing us again a human being and a divine being. And so that brings us back to that question I asked you right at the beginning. What kind of a person is Luke showing us here? What kind of a person is Luke showing us here in Jesus Christ. First of all, he is showing us just that, a person. A person, he's not a a force. He's a person, he is one person. One person with two distinct natures. A human nature and a divine nature. Luke is showing us here one person who is all that God is. And we see that in his birth. His birth was prophesied. He was born of a virgin. And as we continue through the Gospel of Luke, we see Jesus Christ doing mighty miracles. The kind of miracles that only God can do. Miracles over nature, raising people who are dead to life. And we see Jesus forgiving people their sins. How can you forgive someone their sins? It's only if you are the person ultimately who is sinned against and all sin is ultimately against God. That's why when Jesus forgave people their sins, they got so upset with him. Don't you know, Jesus, that only God can forgive sins? Well, yes, he did know that. He was that. And we see Jesus himself being raised from the grave on the third day after his crucifixion. We see God the Son, a divine being, Jesus Christ, everything that God is, he is. In fact, in him you live and move and have your being. As God, he created you. As God, you live in him. As God, he gives you every breath, every heartbeat. As God, he is sovereign over your life. Jesus Christ, fully God. And yet, this one person, Jesus Christ, Luke shows us, is all that a human being is. 
We see him eating, we see him drinking, we see him working, getting tired, getting hungry, getting thirsty. We see him being tempted. We see him praying for his father's help. We see him expressing joy, sadness, anger, all the emotions that a human being expresses. We see him hurting. We see him bleeding. We see him giving up his spirit and dying and being buried. He had a human body, a human mind, human spirit, a human heart, and he will be human for all eternity. His humanness did not cease when he ascended to heaven. When you and I see him, we will see a human being in Jesus Christ, and he'll be that way forever and ever. And so, what a magnificent person Luke shows us. A magnificent person, God the Son, the Creator, who made you and who made me, who became a man, a human being. Why did he do that? He did it for one reason, and one reason alone, to help us, to rescue us, to save us. That's why those angels said on, that, on the night he was born to those shepherds who were disintegrating in fear out in the paddock. They didn't expect an angel host to be appearing them over, over that night. And the angel said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. A saviour has been born for you. He is Christ the Lord. He came. He was born. He came and entered this world as a human being to be our saviour. Only God was mighty enough to save us. But only a human being could live every stage of our life perfectly for us. Only a human being could suffer and bleed for our sins. And that's why the Son of God, your creator and mine, became man and entered this world. And this morning... Jesus Christ, God and human, holds out his saving hand to everyone. Everyone is here. Everyone beyond the walls of this church, he holds out his hand and he says, I've come to help you. I've come to rescue you from death, from sin. I want to Wipe away your record of sin. I want to lift the guilt from your shoulders. I've borne the punishment you deserve for your sin upon me on the cross. And Jesus holds out that saving hand to you and to me today. It's my prayer you'll take it. If you've been a Christian forever, take it. Keep hold of it. If you're a new Christian, take it and don't let go.
And if you're visiting us today and you're not yet a Christian, I hope, I hope that you've seen something extraordinary this morning. Not from these three people up here, but from the Word of God. I hope you've seen this one magnificent person, Jesus Christ. All that God is, all that a human being is, who became a human being to rescue you. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, this morning we lift up our eyes to you and we praise you. We thank you. We worship you as our God, our creator. We live and move and have our being in you. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to this earth, for being born, lying in a manger. We thank you for coming because you came to rescue us, to deliver us from our sin and its terrible consequences. You came to save us from death and to give us life and peace and joy. And I pray that we might all turn to you, whether for the first time or to turn to you afresh, to receive your forgiveness and your salvation. We praise you this morning. Amen. Thanks, musician. As we sing possibly at least my favourite hymn, O Holy Night. Glorious Lord. 
Next bit of sixth stage because I couldn't see the words from where I was, so I don't know about anyone else, but uh, I was struggling there. But uh, thank you, musicians, for that, that beautiful song to finish. And uh, fall on your knees, receive the gift of heaven. That's wonderful. And before I read the benediction, uh, what we're going to do after this is we're going to all go out and we'd love to get a family photo of the whole church. Uh, if you don't want to be a part of that, I, I'd, I'd understand that. So that you're, you're welcome uh, just not to be a part of that. That's fine. But we want to get a photo. And visitors, you're very welcome to be a part of that. And then the setup for lunch and then we'll enjoy Christmas lunch together. Let's go with this from the angels. Glory to God in the highest and on peace and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. Amen.